0: back ag watchers to another episode. You've got myself Andrew whitelaw you've got Matt Dalglish, and we've got another guest Corey Ryan from JT Johnson on. Corey, thanks for coming along. As normal tell us tell us who you are.
1: Okay, thanks uh, Andrew and Matt. Um uh, I'm Corey Ryan I work for JT Johnson and Sons known as Johnsons. Uh, we're based in Kapunda, South Australia. Uh we're exporters of compressed fodder to uh, throughout Asia and the Middle East. Um, as an example, we do around a couple hundred thousand tonnes, 200,000 tonnes of export fodder per year. Uh, we've pellet mills, we uh, you know, send a bit of pellets into the live export trade, um, into feedlots, things like that. Uh, we have our own feedlot joint venture. We have joint ventures in hay plants in Victoria, joint ventures in feed mills in China, do a bit of corporate farming in South Australia, not so much South Australia, a little bit more in Victoria to the terms of sort of ten to 12,000 acres. So... Um, yeah, that's just a bit of background on myself and our company.
0: So, so, so mainly the hair industry, then. Basically.
1: Sorry, yeah, yeah. Yep. So fodder, yeah. Yep. Our fo- key focus business is that export hay.
0: Yeah, so, so we Matt and I have been looking at fodder a fair bit over the over the last couple of years, yep. and and it's one of the ones we get requested quite often. You know, what's happening in the fodder market? One of the issues we have is nobody knows what's happening in the fodder market. <laughs> unless you're in the photo market and even then people in the photo market don't seem to know what's happening in the photo market. So, so what, what is happening in the photo market? Yeah. Cause it's, it's not exactly like you can just get, like you can't just log into your phone and get a hay price, you know, or, or look on Cbot for, for hay or ASX. So, yeah. so what's, what, what's the general tone of the hay market at the moment?
1: Well, it's probably part of the reason why we're here. Farmers need options, um, and rotations and a big part of our business is being a rotation of a grain farmer. So they'll put a small percentage of their farm enterprise into hay or they might cut frosted crops or uh, like like this season through South Australia and Victoria, um, they might have crops that they couldn't get a summer knockdown in and um, they've decided to plant some oats and then they can cut cut those weeds out. So uh, if you're hay bears or someone you're trying to report on what hay's grown, that farmer doesn't know until he's going to cut it. So you guys, like us, we can't find out specific statistics of what's grown, so we don't tend to worry about it. Um, our business built on relationships with our supplier base, with our customer base, so there's a lot of individual conversations going on, uh, a lot of people trying to collate that data, um, but, again, it, it is, yeah, I, I feel their pain. It's quite difficult. Um, what we're seeing at the moment, I guess, across Australia and, and what's influencing it is, um, we all know Western Australia's had a great start to the year as far as rainfall. Uh, according to a lot of the aBS stats, were similar. There's, there's, it's not that far down on oat plantings, but we find they're they're talking about grain. So um, what's going to be cut for hay and a lot of jewel varieties in in WA. If WA exports. We don't have a plant in WA. We do export out of WA, but we don't press it. Um, there's sort of 50, potentially fifty to sixty percent less oaten hay going to be cut this year, which is massive, WA the main exporter of hay. So we assume that uh, with that rain, people will take the crops out to grain. And then we're sort of grouping South Australia and Victoria a bit together for export fodder. We presume it might be anywhere from 20 to 40% down on cutting of uh, hay for, for the export fodder sector. Um, And at the moment, those those crops in WA, as you said, are are shooting along beautifully, whereas in Nessah and Victoria, we're sort of three weeks behind on our average growth. We're expecting less than average yields, and uh, we're looking at a fair bit of crop competition with voluntary cereals and um, weeds coming through. So uh, that that will affect what can be used for export, um, so that's a bit of a summary of what we're seeing at the moment.
0: What's what's the, what's the pricing doing at the moment? Because I remember yeah. a, couple, a couple of years ago, obviously we had 2018, we had 2019, we had uh, a pretty big, big inflated prices because of the drought, and it was all yeah. domestic demand, all for Absolutely. feedlots, piggeries, and, and whatever else, uh, sheep. But that's obviously we're beyond that period now, for the most part. We're we're into, you know. A good year last year, and and look, got the potential for a decent year this year. Yeah. So what's, what's the pricing doing at the moment for for hay? Just yeah. So,
1: general if you, in general, if you look at last year of the harvest period, if you went the whole way across Australia, there would have been hay sold from somewhere around $100 a ton. Really rain damaged poor hay up to in WA nearly pushed $300 a ton for hay that was purchased. um The average is there, I think, for a farmer to be able to get out there and grow his hay and get a return. He's wanting to see somewhere from 140 to 240 or 150 to 250 based on some, some average yields. Um, the, the issue at the moment, which we're all trying to work through, is where are those yields going to be? What's a farmer going to need to compete with his grain crops? He'll be happy to continue to grow uh, hay for us. Um, there's a lot of additional costs the farmers copying um, and on our side, we're copping a fair bit with sea freight, which is no different to grain and so on. So we're trying to keep the price to the farmer stable. So at the time of planting, he's got a bit of an idea of where he's going to be. Um, but if you look at the market demand domestically or export, there's not a lot of overall foresight of increase of in prices. I could I would probably say, I don't want to scare any farmers out there, but there's... Uh, there's no real mass demand coming from domestic or export markets. So it's, it's going to make things tough.
0: And, and what were the, so it's about, let's say it's, it's a hundred to $150 yep. a ton just now, or, or, or at the last harvest, what was it in 2019, 18
1: during the drought? Yeah. So there was some, in those sort of drought years, you
0: got some really big money,
1: people paying up, even exporters paying up towards that $350 mark, which is uh, a lot of money. Um, but again, that, that short, Supply of products will will force people to go to those levels
2: and that's one of the that's I was just going to say with that price i mean we've spoken a bit at Cory about um, the more supply and demand and export metrics which are you know always hard to find even in um, some of the more established i guess markets where they 're regularly reported, but even just looking at the price reporting. Uh, which you know generally for a market price price reporting is probably the easiest thing to find but yeah um, in the hay space that's even a bit tricky and and quite I guess you know not very transparent is are there are there any particular kind of um, places you know of that that, I know that the dairy sector you know fairly regularly report on fodder um, as part of their reporting but you know outside of those guys is, is there any particular spots that you know, the any secret hidden gems where you can go for you know reasonable idea of where the, where the pricing yep. is rather than ringing you guys, or you'd rather us uh, you know you'd rather us ring ring into the industry.
1: I'll give you the detailed answer. No, um, <laughs>
2: yeah,
1: it's a, it's an issue. There's no doubt it's an issue. Reporting of um, stocks of hay around Australia, reporting prices. Um, nobody wants to tell you what they sold it for, and nobody really wants to tell you what they bought it for. Um, it seems there are a few online selling platforms now that you can get an idea of what um, products have been sold for, but even I think Dairy Australia and AFI, the fodder industry, try their best to issue some pricing. Mm. Uh, but when, the, especially when the hay's not trading, those reported prices are not changing.
2: Uh, okay, so, it does. yeah, it's a bit – it could be prices from, uh, you know, quite some time ago. or not That's reflecting absolutely. currently. Yeah, <laughs>
1: last trade. last trade was, and that was six months ago. Yes. Hay's, Hay's moving and it's getting sold, and yeah. the people who are buying it and selling it, they know the prices. But um, yeah, it's generally one of those things. There's not text messages going out. It's not publicly known. Uh, we, when we talk about pricing to someone selling to us, it's an individual agreement based on the, the product they sell at the time. Um, so it is, and, and I'm sure that's not much different with other exporters.
0: And another another thing with with hay at the moment and, and straw is uh, what we're seeing. You know, you've got to look on Twitter and all you see is New South Wales, you know, hay bales getting demolished by mice. Mm. Is that a, like, you've obviously got your, your ears to the ground when it comes to hay. Is that a natural issue that the hay industry is facing or is it just quite sporadic and quite sort of limited to small sort of geographies?
1: Yeah, it's obviously sporadic in the sense that we don't seem to be affected by it every year. Uh, but obviously, when the right seasonal conditions or, or, you know, previous large grain harvest is followed by the right seasonal conditions, there's mice around and it's something um, that I know, for instance, we spend a, a huge amount of money on every year controlling mice uh, from our stored hay. Uh, and we do hear stories, yes, of course, that, that stacks are getting decimated in in parts of New South Wales. Um, but again, there's grass out there, so those bales aren't being fed out anyway. So um, I don't know, it's a bit of a natural phenomenon that seems to be able to put a bit of a a balance into the hay supply.
0: Yeah, because we, we, I got a phone call from from somebody a couple of weeks ago overseas, uh, and uh, they were dealing with a client who was, another overseas client who was looking to buy, this is completely irrelevant, but it's about, about malt barley to go to Africa. And they were concerned that there was going to be no malt barley left in Australia because of the mice. And I was sort of like, no, guys, it's it's not that it doesn't look as bad as no. it was on BBC News. <laughs> yeah, the, the
1: media the media does a good job of that, and then uh, I'm sure a domestic hay trade is also going to mention it. You know, to keep to keep their uh, their business afloat. Yeah. Um, and yeah, nine times out of ten, I'm sure the rumours are always worse than the uh, truth.
0: So good segue there, Corey. You've done this before. You're, yeah. talking, you're talking about rumours there, China. Yeah, the, the land of rumors. Yeah, so... China is always uh, is a hard one to uh, to hard egg to crack, as as Swiffen pointed out yesterday that I have got my metaphors wrong when I called it a, a hard egg to handle, but <laughs> hard egg to crack in uh, is China. But you guys in the hay industry, there was a lot of stuff probably three four months ago mm. in regards to China. Not, not banning it. We won't use the term ban. But if we yeah. use the term ban, we'll, we'll, we'll don't tell us off. But effectively, <laughs> what had happened is that, you know, China had what? There was export certificates for 27 plants.
1: Yep. Yeah, 20 28 plants had a, uh, a license to export
0: to China. But only 25 of them got renewed.
1: Uh, sorry, only only there's three of them that weren't up for renewal. So our facilities and a lot of other exporters, they, uh, they're... The certificate expired in February, so but, there was three but, but, uh, three facilities that um, were built later than that and had a
0: later application. So uh, they're they're so not they're they, not
1: due for renewal.
0: So they've got a little bit of time on them. So, they've got a bit of time on end. So what's that was that was in March or something? But what what's, yeah? What's, yeah. What's, what has anything changed since then? What's the uh, what's
1: the yeah? Um, so the dialogue continues between the Australian government, and the China government, wherever possible. But um, obviously, yeah, we're advised not to. Uh, we'll pretty much say place off politics is there's, there's no use jumping up and down set what fate is in front of us um, the positive out of it is uh, despite our expectations there's still open hay being exported to China um, the three facilities that do have licenses between them uh, there's, there's still quite an amount and yeah, there's about 350,000 tons of hay that went to China last year and um, since March to May through ABARE stats, you can publicly see there's been about 35,000 tons of hay go to China. So that's a really positive thing on so, our behalf.
0: So that hay will have only been from those three with a license, obviously.
1: Yeah, only it has to go through that facility.
0: And so, so there's no at the moment, there's no sign that that's going to be anytime soon that the rest of the facilities will get a license. So, or... no,
1: there's, there's nothing. Um, we're certainly not jumping at shadows. Our customer base that we deal with and a lot of exporters deal with say they, they do require uh, oaten hay as part of their rations and they'll love to have it, but it's uh, obviously not a decision of theirs. Um, there's still a lot of fodder produced in China and they can import fodder from various countries, but uh, they're telling us and we're hoping that long-term there is there's a need for Australian fodder.
2: Corey, uh, where does uh, like Australia sit in the like the global picture in terms of an exporter of fodder? Like, do you know the rough percentages of how much we supply yeah. the world, and 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 who are the who are the big kind of big hitters in the export space? Like, you know, are we are we fairly relevant in that space, and and who else are our competitors? I guess.
1: Yeah, so where Australia sits, US is the largest exporter of fodder, like like they do a lot of commodities. So they export sort of uh, all over the world, when we say that there's there's limited countries that can. Export to Australia's had it, really had its place, and we might be I'll throw a number ten percent of what the US produce. Um, we've had a real place in working with the US products. So if there's a lot of alfalfa going from America to Japan. That um, for, for protein-based hay, we've used the Australian oat and hay uh, to, to work well in a dairy cow ration to um, to fit in in Japan, and um, there's, it's now needed. Like it's just part of their their day-to-day in in Japan, and then countries like uh, South Korea, Taiwan, um, we've had quite a stable standing and and there's been, uh, the volumes have been stable, if not slightly growing in some of those regions. Um, We're sitting in a reasonably good position because of the global freight prices and our proximity, like a lot of products. Uh, Where we are falling off the nest a little bit is uh, places like the Middle East is costing us a lot of money to get there and we're getting priced out. From European products, so alfalfa or other grass haze, is maybe grown in Spain, um, Italy, and now well, traditionally those those countries are growing as much as they can with fodder, um, with limited land space and so on. Uh, but now we're seeing areas like Pakistan starting to produce um, forms of fodder, just single compressed bales thrown into a container. It's just going to go across the road, and that can get into the Middle East. So it's um, as those global prices increase too much, other countries are finding way to, to sort of enter the market. Well,
0: so in terms of China, yeah, sort to go back on to that. What, what it, in terms of what we'd put into China, what would, like China as, as a market of barley is about, has been at some time 70% of our barley has gone to China. What is it roughly with, with, with hay?
1: yeah so we'd be about uh in the last couple of years of the exported hay around 30 percent as a, as a figure um, it was exported to china uh, so the vast majority of that has now stopped um i think you guys spoke on a podcast a while ago about trying to find data in china you know what there's a lot of oat and hay produced in china and i don't know we're, we're a bit we, we don't work as analysts so we don't really chase that data because as you know it's so hard to find and the person who gave it to you previously just had the hand cut off so um yeah, we, we sort of, and we're and just you, working.
0: And you've got to be able to read Mandarin to get it.
1: Yeah, we've got a couple of staff who can do that, fortunately. Um, one who's just returned back there now. Um, so, she's trying to find out the information. But, again, I think that the fodder industry works on those one-on-one relationships. There's not the industry data in Australia. Maybe the USDA put out a bit. Um, it's very hard to find real fact in, in the Chinese market. So, we'll tend to work, us and other exporters work, one-on-one with the customer base that we have.
0: In, in terms of the ban as well, so, so obviously like 30% is a big chunk. Like that's, that is that is, a material number. It's a material yep. volume that, that we've effectively lost, which doesn't sort of, it doesn't bode well. Like it must be a concern for the industry, especially I know that a few hay companies are probably more heavily centred towards China than others. Yes. Uh, from From what we hear. So it is a big concern, but I'm always curious about when there's like export bans of, of things like fodder, like, is there, is there a potential for a bit of a, you know, a grey market? You know, this year we see a little bit more going into, you know, Vietnam and then yeah. making its way across the border or are, are you seeing any big jumps in places that you wouldn't normally see or?
1: We're seeing, and this is testament to the, the exporters.
0: Um, huge, huge volumes into Hong Kong.
1: Well, not not yet. Um, basically, we're seeing additional volumes go into all of the traditional markets, um, and that's that's. I really think that is exporters trying to help out their farmers. People might have reduced prices or have done whatever they done, keep, get a little bit more product out the door because they can't because they can't export it to China. We're not seeing any strange countries pop up on the horizon, but uh, we, we have a couple of our staff members who are actively involved in. Um, with the Department of Ag and Trade, and, and we do have a, a company formed by the Australian hay exporters called AXCO, banding together to try and find out uh, are there countries that can use our fodder? Are there trade paths where we can move that fodder? Um, probably unlikely uh, with, with the type of product it is. Um, but, yeah, there's nothing that's popped up on the horizon at the moment that will go anywhere near replacing China. You, you often hear India's got a, a massive amount of, a huge population of dairy cattle um but we're not quite um that's one of those places we say in the next five years we'll, we'll export to india but we've now been saying that for six years so it's just not uh, it's not on the horizon at the moment short term is, is we'll it, just wind back everybody's going to have to wind back that's why we're very fortunate that the china situation happened before the farmer planted his oat and hay in australia so that is a blessing they could pull the hectares back a bit, plant some barley, canola, whatever might might work better for their farm.
0: No, and I think I think that's probably because it was just in time. Whereas the barley one was yeah almost opposite. almost when they'd finished harvest. Oh yeah, yeah finished seeding, which yeah. which left very few people to actually change around. Uh, like I think I don't know. It's just it's just it's just irritating to see that these sort of things happening because it's not. What, what, from the outside, and this is all we see, is that it's almost like radio silence mm. in that it's been stopped, but there's no sort of rhyme or reason behind it. Yep. Whereas at least with the barley, you know, there was a, when I say reason, there was an excuse. Uh, and, uh, you know, there was that sort of, you knew that it was going to be four years and, or five years, four yeah. years now, whereas it's sort of endless and you don't really know when the hay one's going to change. But yep. they're getting into it. it was in March and, you know, still, still, still really a long way until you would normally be doing exports anyway. So it might all change.
1: It's, it's, and that's the positive, I think, for the, the
0: export trade.
1: There hasn't been a ban. Um, there, there's been no questions of pricing or anything uh, in that sense. So um, if you want to, you know, look at it in the way that our facilities need to be re-inspected to be re-approved, and COVID nineteen doesn't allow the, the Chinese government officials to come across or, or anything like that. That you know, you can. There's some things that have been bandied around in that part, but at the moment we can't export there, so we, we have to move on pretty quick.
0: Yeah, I think it's look at the end of the day, a bit like the barley one. It sort of allows people to realise their reliance mm-hmm. on one country, and at least it's only thirty percent. Yeah, so it's, it's not it's not the be all and end all. No, but, but it, it does have a big impact. But, but over time, it, you sort of you can concentrate on those more diverse sort of markets. And look, and the domestic market is still one as well.
2: Yes. Speaking of those diverse markets, I guess you mentioned earlier in the piece, Corey, regarding some of the palletized feed that I yep. presume goes into the live X space, yep. um, both what for sheep and cattle. So I just yes. wonder, A... I guess it's a two barrel question how, how kind of big roughly is that from your business perspective in terms of that as a market, mm. and have you noticed in the last few years with the the type of pressure that the live export space, particularly the sheep space, has been under in w a um, you know with the moratorium and stuff through through the summer um, yep. northern hemisphere summer have, have you guys seen a noticeable decline in in demand out of that domestic side for for those palletized products yeah the,
1: the probably the biggest change for us
2: we've seen is
1: how sporadic things can be and reactive um, and that's that's horrible to tell you your bank manager or your cfo or somebody um, the situation a, a reasonable percentage of what we produce uh, through through our pellet mill um, and through some partnerships we have domestically goes to that live export trade and our position of that mill in capunda south australia we can go up to darwin townsville um, portland you know all, all over the place uh, we don't go into western australia so we could see when the, there was issues with the sheep trade, the WA pellet mill needs to find a customer. So he's trying to bring pellets uh, somewhere else. Um, we can see small things, um, you know, the price of sea freight changes or uh, when New Zealand, you know, there's, there's going to be a stop of New Zealand uh, live export. So there's vessels available. That price drops slightly. We have to have pellets in the shed, mill ready to go. Right, we want 1,000 tonne to here or 1,500 tonne to here, which we can't produce overnight. Um, and nobody wants to take a long-term risk um, since the, the government, sort of our government, ban years ago. Um, you, you're really game to take a long-term risk in the live export trade at the moment, holding stock of, of feed or, or booking vessels. So, yeah, you know, I guess we just had to learn to be more reactive. Um, at any given time, demand can switch on and off, and it, and it does. You'd, you'd you'd hate to see the how. Um, our, 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 you know, sort of our pallet mill production system works at the moment because
2: we have to be ready to move at any time. Yeah. And that's the thing I noted I was over in WA a couple of years back and yep. talking to a few pallet mills there just around all all the concerns through the supply chain of what was happening. And it, at the time we had the New South Wales drought going through. So they were lucky to switch their their palletized feed across domestically well yeah. what they weren't using then on the live X space. They were able to offload into New South Wales, which yep. kind of gave move of a lifeline, but you know, with this good season now, we're seeing it's um that's all changed again. So, um it just goes to show, I guess, that you know when when you start tinkering around one side of a sector, life like a live exit has um it has implications right the way through. And even for guys like you, that you know your main game isn't live palletized feed, but mm. but it's still part of you know it's an important part of your business and um, yeah. So it's a, it's it's a good kind of reminder, I guess, to those that don't realize the reach of that live for space and how. No impact you know the, right the way through the supply chain yeah absolutely
1: it does
0: what's the like I, I spent a long time in the grains industry mm. um, back in the uk and here and one of the things that has always been it's really easy the grains industry you know like people make it complex oh. <laughs> but you know there's there's always it's a standardized contract or not not standardised. Well, it was standardized contract but it's also standard grades like yeah. in australia apw1 asw f1 can one can two blah, blah blah how come there's not the same thing in hay how come yeah. it's, it's just there's
2: good hay and shit hay and domestic and exported is that it <laughs> Well, we, and, we jokingly and, and, and during a drought, it's all good hay. Yeah, pretty much.
1: Yeah, and it's just and then it's just expensive hay. Um, we if we try and explain the season to our customer base when they used to about a visit here every single year, we'd write up on the whiteboard: high, medium, low. You know, there's there's really good hay. Yes, there's medium hay, and there's low low grade hay, and that's how we'd explain it every year, um, because it's it's easy for people to understand in the in the commodities we buy. The overall um, having an, a, a standardised system, some some US products, alfalfa, are getting there on sort of some kind of standardised stuff. But I think ultimately it comes from the market or the customer has to drive that demand. It's no different to residue testing or, or anything might happen in meat, grains, whatever. The market at the moment uh, says that green hay is good hay, so we we haven't quite worked out NIR testing or, or any form of capability to to tell how green is good green or anything like that. So the market will determine that. Um, The average exporter, for instance, will have a grading system and they're quite similar. There might be five to six grades that they'll purchase on. Uh, The predominant amount of that, or the heavy weighting of that grading is based on visual analytics. So are we talking that the hay is really soft, kind of soft, really green, sort of green? So that, that comes down to the experience Um, of the staff within those businesses and what their customers want so we've sort of got that side and the other side of it is the manufacturing systems are slightly different for a lot of the exporters of what they do with the hay when they buy it Um, there are hay plants that can take a bale of really good hay and a bale of really bad hay and blend them together in their machine and all of our products are in some way manufactured in a minor way before they're exported so the customers um, have got used to that system and they accept it. Where it's probably more difficult and not accepted is domestically in Australia and, and AFIR and a few others have tried to bring in a bit of a system, but again, it's a drought and last year that hay was rating C and I want it, I'm going to pay for it. Um, so I think the, the market hasn't driven any requirement for that. The, the, the um, market analysts probably want to see it. So they can work out what the hell's going on.
0: Yeah, from our point of view, we just sort of say, it's too bloody hard.
1: Yeah, shake your head. Shake your head.
0: We'll we'll look at anything else but that. Yeah. I think we'll probably be covering avocados before we cover fodder. Yeah.
1: What's
0: the, uh, but the drought did cause a lot of issues for for everyone across the supply chain. Like, you know, it doesn't just impact upon, like it doesn't just impact upon the producers and and the, the sheep and cattle cockies. Yep. But also, like for you guys, it would have been an issue for just maintaining those relationships. So I know that hay is relationship based, yep. and so that must have had a bit of a an impact upon your ability to source for those absolutely. customers. Absolutely, because it would have been a bit almost like a first in, first best dress for for, yep. for import customers.
1: Yep, absolutely. the 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 background of um of how we got through that drought it was difficult for the domestic farmer, for the exporter. Um, yeah, we're a 98-year-old family-owned business, so we've got growers that have grown for us for four generations um, or, and, and you know, 40, 50 years, maybe more than that. So a lot of those guys have seen before, and Grandpa might have tapped Sonny Jim on the shoulder and said, Johnson's money is is available next year, and, and a lot of the other exporters in the same spot. We dropped probably, whatever it is, the 2019 year maybe, we We probably had half the available hay that we normally export. Really tough on a customer. Um, We've we've been fortunate enough to have customer bases that take the highest grade hay and the lowest grade hay. Uh, And it is really tough on them to say, good news, boys, lots of really good hay this year. Next year we've got got an abundance of shit hay. So it's really tough on them um, to keep that consistency of supply. Uh, And that's where we can lose out to a product being grown in another country or... um, something like that but yeah that relationship with our farmers is is key absolutely key for us to um, keep the continuity in our business
0: and it's another thing like from a grower's point of view like we see people a lot more preparedness for the next drought because Mm. we know the next drought is just around the corner do you think a lot more farmers are thinking about that you know burying hay as opposed to selling it when price is low does that impact upon you guys or
1: Yeah, Um, I don't think it, personally, I don't think it impacts
0: on us. Uh, We've been a big believer
1: of the person growing the hay, creating the storage. Um, I'm not really up to date with, you know, how many sheds have been built in Queensland
0: or New South Wales
1: in the last couple of years. It was, has been, okay.
0: Well, well, it seems like a lot, at least when you drive around Victoria, it seems like everybody's putting up a hay shed.
1: Yeah, so Victoria, in those, those production areas, I mean, it's a great
0: idea. to go and
1: build more sheds and be able to, there's probably, there's probably more of a need for the guy growing the hay, being able to, instead of sitting in the corner of the paddock and every, with every rain it's depreciating in value, being able to have good storage facilities so that that grower can take advantage of the market when it's at the right price. Um, hay that sits in the corner of the, the paddock is, is no longer requested by any buyer anywhere might have been 10, 20, 30 years ago, but having the storage on farm, no different a lot of those same Victorian big growers who are miles away from a grain storage facility have have really ramped up their their storage capabilities so they can take advantage of the market when it's their time. We'll all encourage a customer internationally or domestically, why don't you just take a bit more this month? You know, that'd be a good idea. But I just don't see it happening um, long-term, unfortunately.
0: Well, we're sort of we as as many of our listeners will know, we are uh, we are tight arses, and so we only run the basic version of, of this software, so we don't pay for it. So we only get a limited period of time in which to to record, which is actually good for us because otherwise Keep we just,
2: keeps us keeps us on track, doesn't it? <laughs> so,
1: yeah. Forces you into winding uh, things up.
0: But uh, I guess that's it, really. You sort of covered off on everything in hay, and and given us a bit of an insight into. Into pricing and uh, into into China in how we've got to got to wait and see in that one. Uh, anything else to add before we before we sign off?
1: Only oh, probably one thing I had on my notes, Andrew, is like at the moment the the chat about the hay business and things that is probably a little bit swayed towards that negative side. But um, Australia's no different anywhere else in the world. That land value is going up as people have decided they can pay more money for land. put a house on there than you can to grow barley and and demand for feed and fibre you guys cover it every single day we see see those increases with with global populations so we see we do see a lot of positivity um in the ag sector and and that's why our company's in there and and the fodder fodder's no different so um yeah it's it's great you guys are getting the reports out to the the people out there and keeping that positive sway on things and, and letting them know when things are good and bad but yeah, we see a lot of positivity and and especially in our um our market and just educating the customers and, and the farmers on on what they need to do to take advantage of it
0: yeah well look it's it's not always positive as we all know, it's, <laughs> you know i mean but i think you're right the long term is positive mm. uh, but the they're always going to be those short-term ups and downs and and that's what makes it interesting really does. You know, if it if it was just an upward trajectory, well, we wouldn't have a job, would we? No.
2: No. No, that's it. That's we were, it. We barely barely got a job as it is.
1: So <laughs> I think there's plenty for you guys to do. <laughs> are
2: you guys is is, is is Johnson's are you um active on on social is there any, like a Twitter handle or something like that that yeah. you have stuff on regularly? So if people are uh wanting to keep up to date what's going on, is that something you guys do at all or personally yeah. or, or from the business?
1: We're not overly social. Um, being a small family business, we, you know, generally and possibly too much focus just on working just with our customers and just with our direct farmers. Um, we're starting a little bit out there on Facebook, main, mainly through some of our we have it Johnson's Natural Formula horse um, horse pellet product. Great plug there, but um, I think we slowly will be moving down that a little bit further. Some of our staff are on there, but uh, we're possibly not as active as as we could be. Um, but yeah, Facebook's probably Under JT Johnson and Sons is probably the place to find us. We we do have a LinkedIn page with with limited information, um, but it is something that. I'm I'm hoping,
0: Corey, that we start to see a few more charts on fora, because I know that somebody gave you some tips on how to improve your (laughs) charts in recent
1: days. (laughs) I I used used your advice fantastically this morning with our, our QHSE. Um, manager in a in a management meeting, he said, "Thanks very much for your tip, but I think this graph's easy enough to read anyway." Back to back to your seat, son. Um, but no, it's a way forward. We, we turn 100 years old in whatever it is, May 2023. So that's probably our time to really come out and um, start celebrating. What's you know, there's, there's not too many Australian businesses at 100 years old, and and if they are, are they are they growing? And um, so it's probably time we start to ramp up our exposure
0: no well before we get cut off i just better say thanks very much for for coming along no problem. Uh, again uh, it's always good to have somebody in a in a niche industry as as if if, if you're covering beef and grains sorry Corey, but here's a niche uh, absolutely But good to have somebody we can we can get that information from when uh, when when we need to know no problem
1: just so, don't ask me for production statistics in australia
0: no worries. Well, f- thanks very much. Uh, ciao for now. Thanks for having us. Yeah, see you yeah.
2: Cheers. <laughs> so-